is the most important thing. So I pray that you just help me communicate your word, that you might be glorified through it all, that people might understand clearly of what you want to do for them. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, let's see. i got to have a... Okay. Well, if you, if you see the screen there, the title says, Which Way Did They Go? And I've got uh, revised on there. And the reason I did that, because if you've been around Southview Bible Church for a while... You might remember, although I don't expect you to, that I did preach a message like this 12 years ago. And some, some may remember, some may not. And like I said, I don't expect you to because what I have to say is really not that important. But what Scripture has to say is the ultimate importance. I have been thinking about this for a while now, and and probably because well, we had a memorial service for my sister Nadine, as you know some some of you know she passed away a few weeks ago, and uh, it's just something that when when you gather around a memorial service or a funeral service, uh, you hear people say a lot of things. And nobody, and praise God, Nadine was saved, but nobody ever says, you know what, they went to hell. So I titled this message, Which Way Did They Go? And this happens to be in Luke chapter 16. Now, it still amazes me that when people die, friends and loved ones would say or do anything to make sure people know that they're in heaven, no matter if they were the scum of the earth or if they were a nice human being. They're in heaven. That's what that's the way people think. You might hear something like this. Well, John was a good guy. He loved his family. He worked hard on the job for his employer. He never did his fellow man any harm, and he treated each person with respect. You might hear things like that. And you could hear them also about a woman who has passed away. And then they end up by saying, with all the good that they did in their life, I know that they're in heaven. And some people would do almost anything to keep in touch with them even if it makes it no sense at all. And I want to share with you a slide. Number one. Uh-huh. You might, if you, and, and I say this because some people say, oh, where'd you dig that up at? Well, it, it's a true, it's a true place. You can go to it. It's called Afterlife Telegrams. And it's a website you can go to. Here's what they say. Now, I can read this better than I can that. So I'm going to turn around. I I know I have a face for radio anyway. My backside probably looks better. 
But for a fee of $5 per word, we will deliver your message to a deceased person. Okay? They do this by asking a volunteer who is a terminally ill patient to promise to deliver the message when they get to the other side. Good deal, huh? Do you have a message you want to send to somebody? Only $5 per word. Uh, but, however, uh, you, when that word however comes up, you've got to be careful. Because usually it doesn't mean good. However, in the fine print on their agreement, they say the de- delivery isn't guaranteed because no one actually knows what happens to someone when they die. How's that? So I'm going to make you an offer. You want you want to send a letter? To, you know, write a note. Charge five dollars a word. I'll do the best I can when I die to deliver that. You know, I find it much easier if we just pray to the Lord. Lord, I have a grandma in heaven. I believe my mom is in heaven. My dad made a profession of faith a couple of weeks before he died. Um, I have people in heaven that I, that I love. And it's a lot easier and a lot cheaper just to say, Lord, could you tell them hello for me? And I'm doing well. Yeah. $5 a word. The older I get, I think more about death. How about you? Some people might think that I have a morbid mind. But I assure you, my thoughts are biblical. You see, Hebrews 9.27 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. So I don't think I'm wrong in believing or thinking about death a lot. I personally believe we should think about death because it is a final. It is final as far as this earthly body goes. Once this body has no breath in it, there's nothing else left for it, right? You either be cremated or you be buried, one or the other. But instead of having opinions about heaven and hell, they all pop up in our minds at times. And sometimes we just have opinions. The scripture gives us some facts. If we count the scripture as a final authority for what we believe. Before we get to the text, I have to share this other. This is a, I I shared this before. An Indiana cemetery has a tombstone more than 100 years old with the following epitaph on it. Now pay attention. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. Prepare for death and follow me. Now let's on a tombstone. Well, some very wise person went by. This is over 100 years old. Some wise person went by and wrote this. To follow you, I'm not content. Until I know which way you went. 
So the title of the message is, Which Way Did They Go? Now, before we get to the text, I want to give you a little background on Luke. I remember as a young boy in Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher always referred to Luke as Dr. Luke. And I still remember that to this day. Even though that was many years ago. So Dr. Luke. Warren Wiersbe writes this. Luke was probably a Gentile trained as a physician. And it is said that while he could write about... And it is said that's why he could write about the births of two important babies. Do you know who the two important babies are that Luke writes about? It's not Al Keller. It's not Terry Cooper, but John the Baptist and Jesus. And he says, Luke could also write and emphasize of Christ's sympathy for hurting people. I passed around a book a while back called Gentle and Lowly. And if you have that copy and haven't read it, I would urge you to read that. Talks about the gentleness of our Lord Jesus Christ. That he's not waiting to let the hammer down on you. He's waiting for you to come to him patiently in love. He cares for you. Luke wrote with the mind of a careful historian. And also the heart of a loving physician. The Gospel of Luke was written to a person named Theophilus. And that name, Theophilus, means lover of God. Theophilus was probably a Roman official who had trusted Christ and needed to be established in the faith. As we all do once we put our trust in Christ. So we get to Luke chapter 16. Luke, is, Luke 16 is about the right and wrong of riches. And some of you are wealthier than others. Some of you could probably relate to the rich man. And probably most of us could relate with the beggar. But in verses 1 through 13, Jesus tells of a foolish steward or manager. That is the wrong use of riches. And a wise steward also writes of a wise steward, which is the right use of wealth. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 14 through 31, he writes about... The wrong use of money. Verses 19 through 21 shows a contrast in life. The rich man was flamboyant. You could say he was among the rich and the famous. In Luke 16, 22, it shows a contrast in death. The rich and poor man together... Someone said that death is a leveler. 
And one person is not above the other. When it comes to death, the bubble is always in the middle, if you know what a level is. Everybody is equal when it comes to death. In Luke 16, 23-31, there's a contrast in eternity. The rich man went to Hades, which is a temporary holding place till the great white throne judgment, and then the lake of fire for all eternity. Hades is often translated hell, as we know it, but literally means a place of the dead. Lazarus went to paradise, also called Abraham's bosom. Our text today has had controversy over the years because the question has been asked by a lot of people who study the scriptures. The question is, is Luke 16, 19 through 31... A parable or an actual account? Luke sixteen nineteen through 31 has been the focus of much controversy. And I've read through a few common commentaries. Uh, that's why I call this revised. Because some, sometimes as you, as you learn things, at a certain time in your life, and then you learn more things on that same subject, sometimes you change your mind. Or sometimes it's just ground in even more. But this has been the focus of much controversy. Some take the story of the rich man and Lazarus to be true. A true historical account of events that actually occurred. Others consider it a parable or an allegory. Now, I want to share with you just a couple of things why people think they way, the way that they do. Reasons for actually believing it is an actual account. First, the story is never called a parable. If you read it, reread it, it's never called a parable. Jesus, many other Jesus stories are designated as parables, such as the sower and the seed. Second, the story of the rich man and Lazarus uses the actual name of a person. Such specific names would set it apart from ordinary parables in which the characters are not named. Third, this particular story does not seem to fit the definition of a parable, which is a presentation of a spiritual truth using an earthly illustration. The story of the rich man and Lazarus presents spiritual truth directly, with no earthly metaphor. The setting for, the most, for most of the story is the afterlife, as opposed to the parables which unfold in earthly context. Now, here's reasons. It's always fair to give two sides of the story, right? 
I mean, you, you know, you have a quabble with somebody and you want somebody to take sides. Well, you, get, you can't take sides until you hear both sides of the story and then you make a judgment on what you want to believe. The point at, they point out that Jesus' standard practice was to use parables in his teachings. They do not consider the above arguments strong enough to warrant classifying the story as anything but a parable. Also, there are some aspects of the account that do not seem to agree with the rest of the scripture. For example, can people in hell and people in heaven see each other and speak to each other? Okay, I want to stop there. So those are the reasons that people believe it is an actual account and for those who believe it is a parable. Now, 12 years ago, I would have said something different. Not, I mean, I would have agreed with one or the other of these. But can I say today, be honest with you, I don't know. I really don't. I've read commentators that we trust and some that we don't trust. And, and you, know, you know, you can be confused on some things. And so I don't know. But I know what the, I know what the actual intent of this parable or actual account is between a rich man and Lazarus and what it has to do with us today. So the story continues. As we look at the text, we find a story of two men. One was a rich man and the other a beggar named Lazarus. Two men, very different from each other in life. Now, let me show you this. The rich man, they need to make that screen bigger. The rich man was covered in purple and fine linen, and the beggar, poor, the poor man, was Lazarus covered with sores, boils. The rich man fared sumptuously, had the finest foods, while Lazarus lived only on crumbs from the rich man's table. The rich man had many servants, while Lazarus had only dogs to care for him. As I was rereading this and putting notes together, I was thinking, you know, the rich man, he had a lot of goods. It says he fared sumptuously every day. I was thinking that, uh, you know, if, if little Mac was around at that time, they probably would have catered some, since they didn't eat pork, they probably would cater some beef brisket or something, or be spare ribs or something. But uh, since you weren't around, you can't tell if it's an actual account or not, right? So. But it said he was covered in, fi- in purple and fine linen. And the, uh, when it says he's covered in purple, that's your outer, outer clothing, your finest apparel. And uh, uh, sometimes we, we look better than others when we, when we go out in public. And, uh, but he was, he was one who had the, the best clothes on the outer side. It says in fine linen, which is the undergarments. And uh, 
It doesn't say whether they had boxers or briefs, and, and probably most likely with the culture, they didn't. And so, uh, but it, the fine linen is undergarments. And the beggar, Lazarus, Lazarus, particular name, the beggar Lazarus lived only on the crumbs from the rich man's table, or at least he desired them. You see, someone came along every day and put that man in front of that rich man's house. Because the scripture says he, he, they were, he was laid there every day. So someone took him there. They probably wanted him to get some food, knowing, knowing he wasn't going to get any any. Uh, real good care and it was said that when it talks about the the he was desiring the crumbs from the rich man's table I was reading Warren Worsby says that in those days uh, the rich people when they would eat their their food the Jewish people would eat their food they wiped their hands with their bread and threw the bread away how gross is that? Anyway, and the rich man, the rich man had many servants, while Lazarus had only dogs to care for him. In verse twenty-two, according to the text, it seems that the beggar Lazarus died first. This is the main points I want to get to. He was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Perhaps the beggar's body did not have a decent burial, though the Jews were usually compassionate in such cases. Lazarus certainly did not have the traditional Jewish funeral, with paid mourners, costly spices, and elaborate tombs. After Lazarus' body was taken away, the neighbors probably said, Well, we're glad he's not around anymore. But he went to Abraham's bosom. This was a place of comfort, love, and joy, and companionship. Abraham's bosom is a symbolic expression to denote the place of bliss. To any Jew, the thought of enjoying fellowship, enjoying fellowship with Abraham would suggest an inexpressible bliss. We take it that Abraham's bosom is the same as heaven, as William MacDonald. Then we get to the rich man. The rich man also died and was buried. He probably had expensive funeral, but the Bible doesn't say. But what the Bible does say about the rich man's death is that it was not only physical death, but also dead spiritually. These two men both died. But which way did they go? Two different directions. I'm waiting for the day that I go to a funeral service or a memorial service and someone says about the deceased, which way did they go? They can't go left or right. 
You got to go up or down. Maybe you'll be a person to ask that at a funeral. Which way did they go? They went two different directions. Lazarus the beggar went to the place of peace and rest. Not because he was poor and unhealthy, but because he had a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father. The rich man went to Hades, a temporary holding place, waiting for judgment. Where there is no peace, there is no rest. He didn't go there because he was rich. He went there because he did not have a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father. You see, we talk about the heart. Romans says that with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The rich man had a heart issue. In verse 23... It says, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. I want you to note something. The rich man's soul or conscious self went to Hades. Hades is a Greek Old Testament word for Sheol. The state of departed spirits. In the Old Testament period, it was spoken of as abode of both saved and unsaved. You had paradise, you had Hades. Here it is spoken of as the abode of the unsaved because we read that the rich man was in torments, Hades. Both men died and went to separate places in the afterlife. But I want you to know, they were conscious, both of them were conscious of their surroundings. The rich man, being in torments, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, we can't see our loved ones in heaven. We can't see our loved ones in hell. But whether in this account, whether a parable or actual account, the rich man can see Lazarus. And Lazarus is not in torment. Not exactly sure what all that includes, but the text tells of a few things that are torments. Number one, thirsty, which I am right now, so let me get a drink. If you've ever been really, really thirsty and you didn't have any water around, it's almost like dying. It's torment. It's hot. This is the way it is in Hades, or hell we call it. You're thirsty and it's hot. What does he say? In verse 23, then he turned, oops, sorry. 
I got to get this right chapter, don't I? Sorry about that. He says in verse 23, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried, he cried, and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Isn't it just like somebody that, that really does you wrong? And then they, then they get a hold of you and say, Hey, can you do this for me? Abraham, or the rich man was talking to Abraham and he said, Please, I'm in torment. He says, I'm thirsty, I'm hot, I'm in pain from the flames that will never go out. Won't you please send Lazarus and just t- just let me let him touch my lips or touch my tongue with water, one drop of water. And verse twenty-five says, "But Abraham said, Son, remember." You know that word is a haunting word. Remember. You know the older we get. And some of you, I, I shared that there was a time that, that uh, my memory was gone. I could read something five minutes later and not know what I read. But remember is a haunting word. It can either be good or it can be bad memories. Remember means to recall something forgotten to recall something to mind or become aware of something that had been gotten forgotten it means to keep something in memory to retain an idea in the memory without forgetting it remember first words out of abraham's mouth son remember That in your lifetime, you received your good things and Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Let that sink in. Those who want to pass from here to you cannot. I don't know what heaven is like. The Lord knows what heaven is like. And I'm sure the Lord is conversing with all of our loved ones who are there, our friends. Uh, somehow, uh, he, he knows everything. 
And whether he relates to them how we're doing, I don't know. But I... I have a dear grandmother up in heaven. Actually, two of them. One got saved later in life. But one, I've shared this before, called me when I was five years old. And wanted to know what color Bible I wanted. As a grandma, I'll take a white one because white stands for purity. But she said, no, preachers carry black ones. And she said, I'm going to pray for you every day till I die. That God use you someday to glorify himself. I hope she's not disappointed. But Abraham said, those that want to come to you can't. And you know... With Lazarus being comforted and and uh, he's just relaxing and you know maybe maybe Lazarus the scripture doesn't say but maybe Lazarus would have said boy I have mercy on that guy you know let me do it but they can't do it and now that's just speculation that's not it's not in the text okay. So. The rich man in torment, hot, thirsty, pain from the flames that never go out. And Abraham reminded him, remember what you had when you were on earth. When you were alive, and the rich man said, But if one would go to my five brothers and tell them, then they would repent. You see, he was, he was in torment, and yet he remembered he had brothers that were headed in the same place. And he thought he had it all together. Well, if, some would go, if someone would go from the dead and tell them, then they would repent and they wouldn't end up in this place. Now let me say this. The important thing is that whether the story is true or a parable, the teaching behind it remains the same. Even if it's not a real story, it is realistic. Jesus plainly used this story to teach that after death, the unrighteous are eternally separated from God. That they remember their rejection of the gospel. And that's the most important thing. You know, remember, when people are in hell, they're going to remember when you or I or someone else shared the gospel with them. And they rejected it. They're going to remember that for eternity. No wonder they're crying in hell. 
and their condition cannot be remedied. Luke 16, 19 through 31, again I say, whether a parable or literal account, Jesus clearly taught the existence of heaven and hell as well as the deceitfulness of riches to those who trust in material wealth. So the question is, now, I don't know how many remember, but when I had that up there before, 12 years ago, I had, how can, how can we escape hell? Well, the more I thought about it, we can't escape. You know, escape means to get out, you know, or to be free, and you can't. So I changed the word to avoid. Does that make sense? So, how can I avoid hell? First, we must understand that our status in this life, whether rich or poor, does not determine the direction we go after we die. Whether you're rich or poor, it doesn't make you better than anyone else. It doesn't make you lower than anyone else. You see, when we die, the bubble is in the middle. It's all leveled out. We're all equal when we die. We're dead. Second, we must understand that we cannot be reconciled to God by what we do. The scripture says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So whether you think you're really a good person and you're going to be there on your own merits, forget it. You're not going to. The scripture is clear. It's not by works of righteousness, which we can do. It's only by his mercy that he saved us. Thank God for his mercy. Third, we must repent. Now, I know that some people don't like to use this word, but the scripture uses the word. The the text uses the word. You see, he says in verse 27, Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers who would testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to them, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father, but if, a, if one goes from, them, from the dead, they will repent. So it, the repent is in the scripture. So repent. So that's one thing that we have to have. What does that mean? What does repentance mean? I know there's controversy over this too, but here's what it means simple. I'm just I'm just a simple guy. It means to change your mind, your thoughts about who the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is. Is he God in the flesh? Is he Lord? Is he Savior? I love this verse. The night I got saved, this verse was pounding in my head. But as to many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name.
How can we escape or how can we avoid going to hell? We must trust in the Lord. If you do not receive him, then you will end up in the final destination for those who are written in the book of Revelation. So let me read that to you. I think I got the slide up here. Whoops, whoops. Is the scripture not there? Well, let me read it. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face on the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were open, and another book, singular, was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged. They were judged, each one according to his works, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Verse 14, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written in the book of life? You know, we come to church every week. We listen to the preacher. We listen to the Bible teacher, Sunday school teachers. But that doesn't mean your name is written in the book of life. So I want to ask you, which way you want to go, up or down? The Lord Jesus Christ, as I said before, is not waiting for a hammer to nail us when we do wrong. He loved us. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Which way do you want to go? Are you happy, satisfied living in sin? If you are, beware. The place where you end up next is not going to be as much fun. Okay? Kent? Let's stand, please.
Father, we do pause before you, and we just think about where we're at. Uh, Do we have you in our heart? Are you Lord of our life? Or are we sitting on the fence, haven't made a decision? We think about this message, think about the song we just sang, and... Father, just to think about hell, think about Lazarus, think about the rich man, and which one do we desire to be? Where do we desire to to, uh, be placed here? Father, as a Christian, we have opportunities to to make a decision and to live our life and and our testimony. for others. And Father, we just thank you for the grace, the mercy that you bestow on each of us as you died on the cross for our sins and that you rose again. You you are the living the living God. And as a Christian, you you are number one in our lives. We just are so thankful for that. We pray for family, we pray for friends uh, that are not there. And we just want to be the witness and have the testimony uh, and the opportunity to be able to share with them and live a life that's glorifying to you. Father, we just thank you for the message. We thank you for this day in your house. We thank you for just the hedge of protection that you put around each of us. We do pray for a good week. We pray as we go out and and, uh, that we would take advantage of these opportunities that you give us. And... And uh, 
we do look forward to uh, being able to return tonight uh, for our worship service and time of singing. And, and uh, Father, just continue to guide and direct us. Give us a good day and a good week. We just thank you again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.